Amen. I think you've picked up this morning on the theme of grace. It's a wonderful theme, is it not? We sometimes talk about the subject of grace and the question is asked, you know, what is it? And someone, I have no idea who it was, came up with the acronym using, uh, using of course, the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And, that, you know, it's sim- that's a simple answer, a simple, very simple definition, but it is certainly appropriate. God giving to us his amazing riches, first and foremost, in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. The gift and the grace of eternal life, salvation, forgiveness. But then also the gifts of grace that continue to come to us in our life. It's a gift of God's grace that we're here this morning. It's a gift of God's grace that we can continue to labor on and press on. I confess as we sing some of the, sang some of these songs this morning, my mind went to what the Apostle Paul said. You know, he said uh, his desire was to go on to be in heaven. But he understood that for now God wanted him here. Continue to to labor. I get that. Look around at the world, the struggles, the pressures, the difficulties, what we're experiencing in our own lives, what friends, brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing, and it's just like, Lord, can't we just please be done? And his grace will bring us home at his appointed time, at his perfect time. So this morning, I want us to look in our text at Romans 12 as we continue on. Our theme this year is our faith on display, and and God gives us the grace to do that. It is not that we put it on display in some prideful, pious way that we are somehow better than others, but it is by God's grace that he calls us to do that, to live our faith. Our faith is not to be something that is just held closely to us and, you know, as Jesus exhorted those listening to him during his earthly ministry, it's not something we, our our light that we put under a, a bushel and hide it. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. And those good works only come from God's grace in our life. And so God helping us by taking his word, learning it, applying it to our lives, we go out of this place and we put it on display wherever he has directed and wherever he has placed us. It's amazing what happens when when you go to God and you say, okay, God, I want to do that. And then all of a sudden doors of opportunities begin to open up. I uh, I'm not going to, la- I won't elaborate on it right now, but I-, I would just say I'm experiencing that. Some doors of opportunity that I had n- never really thought would happen. I don't know what God's going to do with it. But it's part of putting our faith on display. 
Our text is Romans 12. I'll read, us, read it here for us, verses 6 through 8. We've been working through this. This is where it comes, brings us to. The writer here, Paul, writes to the church at Rome and he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's ask God to help us and the Holy Spirit to help us take his word and learn from it this morning, shall we? Father, we... We come before you these moments. We come before your word. May you be pleased. May the Holy Spirit's power be evident. As we take the word, as we, as we feast upon it, as it ministers to us. Father, help us not just to gather this morning information, but may we receive the exhortation that is given here, even as Paul did so long ago to those believers at Rome. Yes, there are an abundance of gifts that you have given, but your desire in giving them was for us to put them to use for your glory. Help us to learn. Help us, Father, to apply. Help us also to know your grace as we seek to live it and to put our faith on display to those who need to see, who need to hear, who need to receive. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Preaching expositionally, which is what we do, verse by verse here, provides us opportunities. Provides us opportunities to encounter passages like this one that is before us here this morning. It's a passage that reminds us, first of all, of the gift of grace, without which we could not have the gifts of grace. That's what's before us here this morning. The passage that Jonathan read from 1 Corinthians 1, Paul addresses that. He talks about the gift of grace given by God through Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation. But then he goes on and he talks about the other gifts that then follow that. It should also be noted that the subject here that, that Paul has addressed in, in Romans it's addressed repeatedly in the New Testament. By that, I think we can, we can draw the implication, it's pretty obvious, that this is foundational, this is essential for the maturing of the body. The body, as Paul talks about it here in reference to, you know, the body of the local church, the body of the church universal, but a local church body, often referred to that way, or family. There are many members, right? 
and they're to be functioning. The physical illustration here is obvious. They're, you know, we, we have many parts of our physical bodies. They should be functioning. When even a, a minor, seemingly minor part of our body ceases to function. You know, I used the illustration a few, year, a few weeks ago about our fifth metacarpal on our right hand. For me, when that ceased to function, when I crushed this knuckle some years ago, all of a sudden, something I had never really given much thought to got a lot of attention. Because it wasn't functioning. And I realized, wow, I need that. There are a lot of members of the body. Now, looking at it as Paul is, you. You're, if you're a child of God, you're a member of God's body, the church universal. If this is where you worship and attend, you're part of this local body. You need to function. You need to be functioning. Let us use them, he says. And so quite frankly, as we look at this this morning, what we're going to see, we're going to cover a lot of ground. But what we're going to see is really that exhortation, that, that emphasis that says, okay, look at the list. Because God has given these gifts... You've received at least one of them. If you're God's child, he has given to you at least one of these gifts. Are you using it? Are you putting it to use in the body for his glory? That's what the apostle is saying. Let us use them. How many of you remember years ago, I remember when I was a teenager, this was kind of, kind of in vogue. Um, in evangelical circles. How many of you ever took one of those spiritual gift inventory tests? Raise your hand. Do you remember those? Okay. Yeah, it, it was a thing. Um, take it or leave it, right? I will say, I think there was some benefit to them. They were modeled off a lot of the other, you know, personality profiles and other tests that are given out there just, you know, in the secular world, business world, whatever the case may be. Um, one benefit, though, certainly, was the fact that it did, I believe there was assistance there in helping people to identify and to come to this reality as if, you know, the preaching of God's word wouldn't get us there, but sometimes we need that extra nudge. And, um, and it did, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, now what do I do with it? It's an amazing thing as we work through this this morning. Like I said, we're going to go really fast. This is, I told you a few weeks ago, when I first preached through Romans 12 15 years ago at a previous ministry, I've got 22 sermons from Romans 12. You're going to get like six of them. Okay? Because I took and, and preached, and maybe one day I'll come back, the Lord will let me come back, and I'll, I will preach through every single one of these gifts because I've got a message on every one of them. But this morning it's just going to be kind of that 30,000 foot view. And, and I think for our purposes right now, that's sufficient because it, it's, the point remains and the point can be very easily made. These gifts are there. These gifts are here. Are they being put to use? John Owen was a Puritan preacher in the mid-17th century and he said this, quote, spiritual gifts are that 
without which the church cannot subsist in the world. Nor can believers be useful to one another and the rest of mankind to the glory of Christ as they ought to be. They are the powers of the world to come, those effectual operations of the power of Christ, whereby his kingdom was erected and is preserved. Do you get what he says there? Spiritual gifts are that without which the church cannot subsist in the world. God in his omniscience said, for the church to do what I've called it to do, I must equip it. And he did. He equips it. Through these gifts, he empowers it through the grace and working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our midst. And Paul has kind of led them along this path. And verses 6, 7, 8 is him kind of going, so here's the application. Because to properly exercise the gift God has given to you, there first of all has to be personal dedication. He's talked about that in verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. If I daily present my body a living sacrifice, I'm basically saying, God, how do you want me to use my gift today? There also must be humble evaluation. He, he deals with that in verses 3, 4, and 5. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but use sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You're a part of a body. You're not the body. You're part of a body. And so there needs to be that humble evaluation. And then finally, okay, now let's identify it. Let's identify what part of the body, how you can be used in the body. Isn't the Bible amazingly practical? I mean, he's just laid it out. I mean, yes, it's taken us three weeks to get here, but it's only eight verses. Whatever your gift, you should be using it faithfully because it is a stewardship entrusted to you from God. We often use that concept of stewardship, or I'm a steward, onto our material things, the things God has blessed and entrusted to us materially. But certainly this right here, these gifts, as he's going to outline them, these are uh, things that we are to be stewards of as well. God has given at least one of these, I believe, to every believer. Some of you, maybe you have studied this passage and you're like, yep, that's, that, that's me right there. Or, or maybe you say, I'm kind of strong there, I'm kind of strong there. Now, here's the thing in all of that. We also have to realize, as we mature, other passages talk about walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5 and things like that. As we're maturing, we should be looking at this list going, okay, God, how can this thing that I'm not all that strong in right now, how can that get stronger? I, I jokingly said in our growth group on Wednesday night, that we were, in our discussion, we were talking a little bit about this kind of edged that way. I will openly admit and my family will confirm Mercy, not my strongest gift. I know that shocks you all. Totally. Administration, prophecy, yeah. 
That, those I got down pretty well. I need to work on mercy. Yeah. I think, I hope, you know, through the years it, it has grown some. But, but I admit, it's not near where some of you, I mean, that, that is your, your gift. Bless you. A pastor that doesn't really, that's not their strong, desperately needs people out here who have that gift. My mother, bless her heart, she's got that gift. But all these various gifts, you've got one of them. At least one of them. And whichever one it is, you ought to be using it. Now, it should be also noted there are appropriate as well as inappropriate uses of the gifts. And I'm going to highlight a few of those as we go through the list here this morning. And let me just say, there's, there's going to be lots of slides. You might want to take a picture of them rather than try to write it all down. You know, there was a note sheet out there and stuff. But you might want to just do that because there's cross-references and, and I've got to move very quickly through them uh, to get them all. But I wanted to do this this morning. I wanted to just kind of give them all in one fell swoop because I think it really does help us to see the big, the big, big picture. So the first gift, and we're just going to walk right through the list. You, you can see it so you can know we're almost done. Uh, just follow the, Paul's, Paul's list. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. The first gift is the gift of prophecy. Now, this is what we would call in today's world preaching. Okay? There is, and you know, in scripture, we'll, we'll look at this in a minute. But, but this is what we would call in today's world the gift of, of preaching. Being able to really just expound the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. John Calvin put it this way, it is the right understanding of Scripture and the peculiar faculty of explaining it. Being able to look at a text of Scripture, understand it, and then explain it. Both have to happen for the gift of prophecy. To be able to take it, and as, as one of my professors used to say, put the cookies on the bottom shelf. I have a background in marketing, that's a real thing. Have you ever wondered why Lucky Charms and Fruit Loops are down here on shelves one and two? Because that is eye level to the consumer it's targeted. Now, I have no problem bending down and getting my box of Fruit Loops. But there's a reason, you know, that, you know, the bran and the weed is up here. <laughs> it's a real thing. But the one who has the gift of prophecy does have the ability, by God's grace, to take these truths, and sometimes very complex truths of Scripture, and be able to say, here it is. And somebody goes, oh. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies, same words, talking about the, the implementation of this gift, speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Or put in other words, edification, exhortation, consolation. So it is that ability to take the truth of Scripture and to edify, to build up someone's faith, to exhort, to, to come alongside. And yes, exhortation is a whole other gift in it, but part of prophecy, doing it rightly, includes this to come alongside another believer and encourage them in their walk with the Lord through the preaching and teaching of God's word, then consolation, using scripture to comfort. And are you able to use scripture to, to take the sting out of life's troubles, to, to take the pressure out of, 
of all the things that come to us and, and help people to redirect. And, and even as, quite frankly, I tried to do this morning as we opened our service in prayer, God, thank you that in the midst of all of these cares, illnesses and job pressures and, you know, just all the stuff, that in the midst of all these cares, you have said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. What a reminder, what a truth. Jesus modeled this for us so many times, but, but I think one of the most obvious was with Peter. He confronted him when he failed. I mean, there's a point where Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Right? But then there's other times after he fails and Jesus comes and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I you know, we go through that whole conversation. And, but at the end, he just says, Peter, feed my sheep. Go, go serve me. I know, I know you're working on it. I know you understand now your limitations. I know you understand now where I want you to be. Go do it. I'm not done with you. That's all that, that is being said there in, in 1 Corinthians 14. The gift of prophecy in the Old Testament... And in apostolic times, it was both revelatory and non-revelatory. Most of the time in the Old Testament, it was about foretelling the future. And that's where sometimes we, we get stumbled up on this word in, in today's world. But there's a shift that happens in the New Testament, and we see it literally happen before our eyes in the book of Acts. In Acts 15, or Acts 11, if you will remember, um, there was a man named Agabus that shows up. He was a prophet. He prophesied about a famine that was going to take place. He also comes back in another time and prophesies about Paul's arrest that's going to happen. Both those things came to pass. That was the revelatory side. It was still in happening because scripture was not complete. But we see that aspect of it fading away. We see this another aspect of it coming because now scripture and the truth of God's word has been revealed through, through scripture. Now it is taking that and applying it. And we see that in Acts chapter 15. And it's talked about with like Silas's ministry and, and Jews' ministry. And, and it is taking that truth and rightly applying it. And strengthening believers in their faith through the, the preaching and teaching of it. It is literally to speak forth. To proclaim the word of God. To declare the divine will. It is the thus saith the Lord. MacArthur says of this gift, it is the gift of prophecy is the spirit-given, spirit-empowered ability to proclaim the word effectively. I'll tell you, this past week I was remind, reminded vividly of what this gift looks like when it is properly used in the local church. We were studying through 1 uh, Samuel 15, preparing for our growth groups on Wednesday night and Typically myself, Pastor Josh, Stephen, we, we meet together and we we're, did it via Zoom call this week. And Stephen had found a message that Alistair Begg had preached on 1 Samuel 15. And I went and I watched the whole thing. And I was like, wow. How he handled a difficult passage and just like brought it down. It was like, boom. I told Pastor Josh, I said, when I grow up, I want to preach like Alistair Begg. He told me I had to work on my Scottish accent. May never get there, but I mean, wow. 
that really was the gift of prophecy live and in color in the local church. He goes on. If service in our serving. Notice what he does here. He's not elaborating on, on them all. He just says, if your gift is ministry or serving, then serve. So the second one, ministry, sometimes called service, this is often behind the scenes. We can go ahead and move to the next one, guys. This is, the word here is literally diakonion. Diakonos, deacon, it's the transliteration of it, serving others. The act of deaconing, if we can use that word. But it's not isolated to those who function in that official capacity within a local body. This is the word that is used in John 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. This is what he's talking about. The gift of ministry is not a stepping stone to some other greater gift. No gift should be seen as superior to another or as a precursor or path to another. We need people like this in a local ministry. It's like, that's my gift. I just, I'm behind, a behind-the-scenes kind of service kind of a person. Praise God for those people. It takes a lot to do what we're doing right here on a Sunday morning. I know sometimes people might think, oh, well, how many people does it take to run a Sunday morning service? Two, and they're both up here. <laughs> There's like three or four back there. There's, you know, four or six or 12 in the nursery. I don't know. Um, couple in children's church, there's people on security. To have a Sunday morning service, it takes about 12 to 15 people just here in our, our small ministry. It's a real thing. That's why when we say, hey, if you are looking for a place to serve, let us know we've got spots. Barnes said, let us wait on our ministering. Let us be holy and diligently occupied in this. Let this be our great business and let us give entire attention to it. You know, it's not a substitute for doctrine. Paul and, si Paul and Barnabas demonstrated this in Acts 12. They went out and they ministered and they served in the local churches. But obviously we don't doubt their faith to the doctrines, to the truth. But this is also addressed in the seven letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, is it not? Where God writes and it says to the angel at, and you know, you know, fill in the blank, Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira. He says, I know thy works, thy ministry, that's what he's talking about. Good, great. But he says, but I have someone against you, remember? And usually it is a lack of application of doctrine. It has to be that balance. So do you begin to see why there are these different gifts? Because one person has this gift. Praise the Lord for him. But then the body also needs those people who are saying, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Keep it all within the bounds and all going the right direction. The third one is teaching. The Greek word here is didaskon. It is the act of teaching. Didactic teaching, you know, that giving of information, asking question back. Sometimes there's discussion. This is not the same as preaching. They're different. 
Oftentimes with teaching, there is less application, more information. Doesn't mean teaching doesn't have application. All you teachers, don't come yell at me. But there is a difference. Both are needed. That's why he says, one gift is prophecy, one gift is teaching. The church needs to. Thank God for the teachers we have in our midst. Thank God for teachers who can take truths of scripture and put them on the level that our children can understand them. Again, not one of my great gifts and strengths. For years we were at ministries that had, uh, had schools alongside of them. I, had, I, I relished the opportunity to preach in junior high and senior high chapel. It scared me to death when I got the, you know, the email or the knock on the door that said, can you do elementary chapel this week? Uh-huh. Those little people are scary. But they can learn. And those with the gift of teaching, they can take it and they can put that information down where they can understand it. It's a God-given ability to take the truth of God's word, make it understandable, systematically, regular instruction in God's word. The gift is one that can be and often is possessed by several within the local body. And, and again, we, you know, thankfully that we have that. One of, one of my ministry philosophies is, um, and what we see this minist- uh, manifesting here, with our children's church, they're on a two-month rotation. The reason is because they don't need to be out, you know, just forever, out of the corporate worship service. They need to be in the preaching time. So thank God that we have teams of people that are like, I can do that, and they rotate through, throughout a calendar year. But that is so essential. That is needed. Jesus exemplifies this gift many times. One interesting occasion is, was the post-resurrection appearance. Remember to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? We see this happening and we see the words show up there. It says Jesus interpreted, he explained, he expounded the scriptures to them. This is what it's talking about. If you don't have the gift of teaching... Don't try to teach, but do commit yourself to being present when the teaching of God's word is happening because you need to hear it. You need to learn from it. You need to expose yourself to those who are gifted in teaching. Continue on, number four, exhortation. This is, again, an interesting word. We hear the word exhortation, and we kind of think, oh, that's confrontation. That's not the word at all. This is the word pericoleo. It's to come alongside, to draw near, to encourage somebody. It is what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus made the promise in John 14 to the disciples, if I go, I have to go, because if I don't go, the Father cannot send the Comforter, the Paraclete. Same thing. The paraclete is the one who then comes and paracleo does the action of exhortation. To come alongside, to, to be that person that encourages others along in their faith. 
the reality is a lot of times the person with the gift of prophecy is kind of the one that's like, hey, you're okay, Daniel. I was just going that dire general direction. Some, but sometimes that's, you know, that's that person. The person with the gift of exhortation is the person that comes alongside and goes, hey, you got a few minutes? Let's sit and talk. You want to get coffee this week? And they come along, and how needful is that? What are you learning? What are you studying? What are you struggling with? How can I help you? Hey, have you thought about this from Scripture? The gift of exhortation. It's being a helper to other believers in doing what God has called us all to do. I like to quote Albert Barnes. He was a 19th century preacher. He said about this, he said, This word properly denotes one who urges to the practical duties of religion in distinction from one who teaches its doctrines, one who presents the warnings and the promises of God to excite men to the discharge of their duty. Those that come alongside just, this is the truth, God, this is exciting, this is neat stuff, and you leave that conversation going, wow, I needed that. That was a blessing. It's not a passive gift. The person with the gift of exhortation doesn't just leave people with information go, okay, good luck. Comes back time after time, how are we doing? How can I help? Barnabas was called the son of consolation in Acts chapter 4. Why? Because he was known to come alongside other believers and encourage them in their faith, just like he did with Paul. Paul, Barnabas, had the gift of exhortation. And he demonstrated it in his life, in the life of Paul. Paul comes to Jerusalem, and of course everybody knows him. He had a history there. He has been radically changed. The Holy Spirit has regenerated his heart, his life. He's a believer. He wants to be part of the church, the church he used to persecute. And they're like, no, we're good. <laughs> Maybe another congregation <laughs> And Barnabas comes alongside, vouches for him, takes him under his wing, and is like, no, 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 we need, we need to give this a shot. Can, I, can, can we say, after 2,000 years of church history, thank God for Barnabas? Because he opened the door and encouraged Paul in his young faith. In Hebrews 10 Believers are encouraged, admonished to exhort one another. And it reminds us that it's God's desire that each believer is growing and developing in each of the gifts. This, my friends, is why we have growth groups. <laughs> because teaching and exhortation is happening there in that, that area. Sunday morning is a lot of, you know, preaching, prophesying. But we need the teaching. We need the exhortation. That's where this is happening. And just as the gift of prophecy proclaims the truth, and teaching systematically explains the truth, exhortation calls believers 
to obey and follow the truth. And to live as Christians are supposed to live consistent with God's revealed will right here in his word. Do you see how they all come together? Again, it's, it's like, like the hand. I mean, you know, maybe the gift of prophecy is this one right here. It's like, you know, prophecy. Maybe this is the gift of teaching, <laughs> you know. But, but then the hand comes and exhorts and encourages. And we should be very grateful for those who demonstrate this gift within our church family. We should also be humble enough to graciously receive that exhortation when it comes to us. Tragically, many times, those with this gift, they get rebuffed. They get stiff-armed. When that person with the gift of exhortation comes to us, we ought to welcome that. Because God is demonstrating his grace to us as they implement and use their gift of grace to us in that moment. We go on. The fifth one. See, we're making progress. Giving. Or contributing. He says here, the one who contributes in generosity. This isn't going to turn into a message to get in your wallet. But there are, are and, and this is often a very private, a very personal thing. Because all that we have is the Lord's. We, we're stewards, right? The word here is it's an interesting word. It, it means to share, to give over. But it's the word metadidome. There's a prefix. And by, by putting the, the prefix meta there, didome is to give. But to metadidome, it, ex, it, it just expounds, it, like it explodes it. Magnifies it. It's an intensified form of what was normally understood. In Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus exhorts us to give to those who are in need and to do it quietly. If you see a need, meet it. If God's given you the wherewithal to do it, just quietly meet the need. In Acts chapter 2, it comes to life, right? The church is gathered together and people who have, they're, they're bringing things in and they're giving to the church so that needs can then be met. This isn't talking about tithing or, or giving in the offering. This is, this is another aspect. This is in addition to. The Christian who gives with liberality gives of himself, not for himself. The giver holds possessions loosely and with an open hand and thank God for these people and we can learn all learn from them. And, and quite frankly, we should be open to this when the Holy Spirit comes and says, you know what? Hey, you can, you can help meet this need. Maybe you can't just totally meet the abundant, you know, the whole of the need, but you can contribute to part of it. Maybe in some ways it could be considered one of the easier ones because, I mean, you don't have to get up in front of anyone. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to possess really a unique skill. You just have to have a sensitive heart and a right perspective on what God's given to you. The sixth one, and the one who leads with zeal. Now, this is the one that we choke on a little bit. I admit, 
some other places it's called the gift of administration. It literally means to stand before and to preside over. And there is no shortage of places in the New Testament church where this is demonstrated and put into practice. In Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council, it is obvious. There's a lot of conversation about what's going on and so on and so forth and how the, the gospel's going out and, and what's occurring in some of these far-flung areas. And then the word's coming back and the church at Jerusalem is trying to act like, you know, oh, well, we, could, we need to control this, we need to monitor this and, you know, make these pronouncements. And in Acts chapter 15, James, the half-brother of Christ, He's listening to all of this, and then he says, let me speak. And when he is done speaking, the matter is settled. And he literally says, therefore, my sentence is. That's what he's doing. He's exercising this gift in the church at Jerusalem. And there was no question after that. Like I said, Paul tells Timothy, to exhorts him to do it in 1 Timothy 3. It's, it's referenced in 1 Thessalonians. It's referenced, uh, as, as I've got up there, in 1 Corinthians 12. I mean, all these different places. In 1 Corinthians 12, that's a really interesting one. Because what is being talked about there, they use the illustration Paul does of actually the pilot or the helmsman of a ship. How many of you want to get on a ship, go on a cruise, but nobody knows how to steer the thing? Right? Thank goodness for those people that know how to steer it. Makes for a much better time. And yet, our sinful nature goes, I want to do it. I, I want to do my own thing. Why does somebody need to tell me? Because it's needful. You know, I, I understand that, you know, we, we probably all, um, or at least most of us, have this, uh, you know, got our story. And, and you can bring up your illustration. I mean, not really. I don't really want to hear it. Um, about the demagogue or the dictator pastor that you knew and so on and so forth. I know that's existed. I know that's happened. And you know what? When it happens, it's sin. It's wrong. It is not the right use of this gift. But that doesn't mean that we then just totally disregard the gift. Because the sin of some must not be used in the, as an excuse for disobedience in neglecting or rejecting this gift of grace. Let me flip it around a little bit and just ask you this question. Has God ever given a bad gift? A malfunctioning gift. No. God never gave a gift and didn't include the batteries. God's never given a gift and it's just broke out of the box. Our flesh, we can break them. We can give hoping everybody sees. You know, like the Pharisees, blow the trumpet. Look what I did. Yeah. We can break the gift. We're, we're sinners. But if we're walking with the Spirit, we're rightly applying the gifts of grace. This is needful. Paul addresses the, the dangers in 1 Timothy 3. 
He says, leaders aren't to be impatient, they're not to be greedy, they're not to be covetous. So there's boundaries. But we need the leadership. We need the administration. God has ordained that there be leaders within the church. These people are gifts to the church to help it to accomplish the work God has called it to do. So can I say, follow those leaders that God puts into your life. Pray for those leaders. Support those leaders. Because they are a gift of grace to the church. And then lastly, there's mercy. Or acts of mercy. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It is literally, this, this word is literally means compassion in action. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thought? Compassion in action. We see things going on in the world around us. We see things that happen maybe even within our own body. We're made aware of, of struggles and, and challenges and whatever the case may be. And we're like, oh, I feel so bad for them. The person with the gift of mercy goes, I feel so bad for them. What can I do? How can I help? Again, thank the Lord for people like this. Oftentimes, before a service, after a service, during a week, I'll, I'll get a call or, or receive an email, and somebody will say, hey, I heard about this. Pastor, what can I do? Thank the Lord for that. I mean, I'm only one person. Pastor Josh is only one person. We, we can only do so much. We've got other things that, that are going along as well. How we desperately need all of these gifts present and active within the body. Now, let me just say this very quickly. Just like sometimes the, you know, the person with the gift of prophecy or, or maybe even exhortation or leadership, you know, that can, that can be a little abrupt. I get that. We have to work on that. The gift of mercy, the guard that has to be put in place is this. You can't become an apologist or an excuser of sin. So you have to be on guard. We all have to be on guard because, like I said, we can break it. <laughs> but rightly, under the Spirit's control... What a blessing it is. Jesus, again, in his Sermon on the Mount, said, Blessed are the merciful. He demonstrates it in Matthew 9 when he heals the blind man. He shows mercy, compassion, and action. The blind didn't come to Jesus. He's like, I am so sorry. He said, I'm so sorry, and you know what? You don't need to be blind anymore. So we find ourselves looping back around. Okay, there they are. There's the list. But we can't get away from what he's already said at the very head of the list. Let us use them. So the question is, how are you going to fully exercise the gift that God has given to you? Warren Wiersbe has a wonderful ability just to kind of put things in a unique way. And he said this. He said, the gifts are for employment, not enjoyment. Put it to use. Not just for you to go, ah, I got it. I know what mine is. That's so neat. That's cool. What are you going to do with it? And there's not a single gift 
that we as a church, right here, Farmington Avenue Baptist Church, there's not a single gift we can live without. Not a single one. We need all of them. And you know what? They are all present. They're here. But are they being put to use? Are you willing to use the gift God has given to you? This I close. Again, there are people gifted that say it a whole lot better than I do. John MacArthur said it this way. We can serve Christ only as we become like Christ. I think there's a slide for this one. And we can exercise the Spirit's gifts only as we present ourselves as living sacrifices and submit to his continuing transformation and sanctification of our lives. He's literally walking right through the first eight verses. We can serve Christ only as we become like Christ. We exercise the Spirit's gifts only as we present our bodies, ourselves as living sacrifices and submit to the transformation and sanctification of our lives. Each gift is just one of the colors on God's palette. But my, it's a beautiful color. It's a needed color. And God uses it for the most exquisite of pictures, the church. These gifts of grace, they're made possible because of the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. And that's what we are reminded of when we partake of the elements we will in just a moment. And by using the gifts of grace that are given to you, given to us, then we put our faith on display. So the question is, what's the gift God's given to you? Are you putting it to use? As we prepare our hearts to partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, I want to ask Brother Stephen Hoxie to come and to pray for us and to ask God to help us to take this truth and apply it to our lives, but then also because of the gift of grace, to realize that we now have these gifts of grace that we can all use and serve together here in this place. Let's pray.